It's time to go to church, but don't worry, you don't have to spiff up. In fact, you don't even have to peel out of your PJs for all I care. Just kick back and take a listen to this former minister who is thought admirably of by people all across the state, particularly Louisville westward, as this was the primary territory covered by the Reverend Gary Chapman. In fact, uh, he spent a number of years in the early 2000s preaching at my church, First United Methodist of Henderson. That's how I got to know him. But uh, the gene of ministry ran in his family because his uncle, Les Chapman, was also a minister. In fact, he's the one who baptized me. So we'll find out about the lessons that Gary learned from his uncle, Les, how he perhaps influenced him to preach. We'll find out about his educational background, schooling, the experience he gained while in school, as well as his extensive journey through ministry. Not to mention friendly advice for others aspiring to pursue a similar career path to that of Gary. So, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fascinating one. I would not want you to miss a second, so get comfy as you listen to Blabbing in the Bluegrass, Season 5, Episode 19, which starts right now. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Milton to Millersburg, Martin to Marrowbone, when you think the Commonwealth of Kentucky, the first thought that pops into your head had better be blabbing in the bluegrass as we thoughtfully and wholeheartedly explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. Howdy, I'm Sam Moore here at... The marvelous, magnificent North Quail Motel in stunning Henderson, KY, and yes, it's long overdue, I know, but we've got another preacher feature waiting in the wings for you. He is none other than former minister Gary Chapman. He is my second preacher to be featured on the program. My first was the uh, Reverend Rebecca Curry, who is also a retired minister. In fact, you want to talk about a small world Becky Curry and Gary Chapman actually know each other quite well and have for quite some time. Those two actually worked together for several years at First United Methodist Church of Henderson, but their friendship goes back farther than that. They actually met in Divinity School at Vanderbilt, and we'll learn more about that. But I tell you, this world is uh, not nearly as big as it would appear. <laughs> Gary and Becky Curry are... Certainly proof of that, but we'll learn also about uh, Gary's interesting background in serving big churches and small churches, the trips he was able to take as part of ministry. He went to some really unique places, to say the least. And even after Gary, quote-unquote, retired, he took on several interim positions. In fact, 
he's preparing to take on another one, as we'll learn. He even does occasional weddings and funerals, as he puts it. Even retired ministers are good for those types of things. And I tell you, they're good for, they're good for a lot more. So uh, he doesn't need to be selling himself short or his fellow retired ministers for that matter. But uh, we'll learn more about Gary. He's a, a great subject. I got to know him especially in high school. I think he moved to uh, Henderson, where he's actually from Henderson. But he moved back to serve at uh, First Church when I was in middle school, I believe. But I really got to know him in high school, and uh, we've thought a lot of each other ever since. I know you're going to enjoy our conversation, so stick around for it. But before we get there, I need to reveal to you this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster. Now, the goal is to do one of these each week. We'll give you the question now while you're listening to Gary and I blab on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. You can think on it, and when Gary and I get done doing our thing, I will reveal to you the answer. So, I know you're familiar with Kentucky's state bird, state tree, state flower, state song. I'm not going to sing to you the state song. I I want to spare you that misery and spare us all some tears because I always get a little choked up whenever I hear my old Kentucky home. But this week, I want to know what is Kentucky's state wild animal? Again, what would be Kentucky's state wild animal? You think on that, we will have the answer. I didn't even, I must admit, I've lived here all my life. I did not know anything about a state wild animal until I came across this just recently. But we will let you know what the state wild animal is in the program's final segment. Saluting those with poise in the pulpit, it's another preacher feature. Today I am privileged to have with us a retired minister that is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. He spent um, a fair number of Years in the early 2000s, preaching at my church, Henderson's First United Methodist, and he's uh, served in a number of others in uh, preaching and other capacities, so uh, he's got quite a resume to, to speak from here to uh, enlighten us on it and also talk about his, uh, his schooling, his education, and maybe some advice for others who uh, are entertaining the thought of venturing down a similar path is none other than former minister Gary Chapman. Was that a standing ovation, Sam? I just wanted to know. Uh, yeah, I th <laughs> whoever it was, <laughs> I think they were standing. So that okay, that's well, great. we're certainly glad to have you on. Now, how many years exactly uh, did you serve as a minister, Gary? I was um, right at 38 years. I think my uh, official record shows 37 and three quarters years as an oh. ordained, active, ordained clergyman. Uh, so I think I think we can round that up to 38 <laughs> without I anybody. Think, with the, yeah, and with the retired years I've had now, I'm right at the 50 mark. Also, oh, you're you're at 50 counting retirement. Well, that's gosh, I tell you, time flies when you're having fun. I guess, but uh. it, it does indeed. And even a retired minister is still an ordained minister. So, uh, so they still count the years until we're gone, I guess. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So even after you retire, you're you're still ordained. Now you are the uh, the second preacher feature that we've had on the show. The first 
back in, I believe it was January or February, is uh, the one and only Reverend Rebecca Curry. So uh, no offense, Gary, but ladies first. <laughs> no, I, I, no I, under, I understand her. Uh, she left a lot more footprints around this place than I did, even though I'm a hometown boy. There, yeah, she she spent a, enough time here. She called this uh, she called Henderson home for a long time, even though she's uh, from Louisville and is is back there now. But anyway, you're you're from Henderson and you're back there enjoying retirement now. So uh, anyhow, Gary, let's start with uh, your childhood growing up in the church as a young pup. So talk about uh, your experiences in the church as early as, as you recall, and uh, talk about your, your fondest memories of this experience, Gary. Well, I'm uh, what some people would call, Sam, a, um, a cradle Christian. A cradle Christian. A, a Bennett Memorial Methodist Church, not United at that time, it was the Methodist Church. Okay. Uh, it was my home church out there in the east end of town. Right, and, right here uh, in Henderson. That's exactly right. And I don't remember anything but going to church. My parents, my grandparents, various cousins, uncles and aunts were uh, members and regular attenders at Bennett Memorial. We were the kind of people, anytime the doors were open, somebody in our family and usually everybody in our family was there. We were two times on Sunday, one time on Wednesday night and everything else in between. So I grew up as a child of the church uh, Bennett Memorial, by the way, if I can do a little PR, a plug for them, oh, sure. was, for a long, was for a long time and may still be the single church in the Kentucky Conference that produced the most ordained clergy than any other single congregation in the conference. The most uh, ordained clergy. Had, my, exactly. Yeah, we, we had, the, had the record for a long time, and I haven't heard anything to the contrary since. Now, that's something to be proud of. That's <laughs> an important distinction for Bennett Memorial there. And uh, I know you're proud to uh, be a part of that family. And uh, did you sing in church or do any kind of music, stuff like that? Absolutely. We had a, we had a youth choir. And uh, on Sunday nights during the worship service, uh, the youth choir would sing every Sunday night. So uh -huh. uh, we, I just had rich experiences there and met wonderful people was with my, not just my biological family, but my extended church family. And there was a real sense of uh, that being your extended home. One of the saints of that church told me once when I cited the record that we had for producing ordained clergy, I said, what, what was it our church did that was different? And I was expecting, you know, some intense, profound kind of an answer. What I got instead was something deceptively simple. He said, he said, I guess we just raised you right. And <laughs> just raised the more you I, right. Yeah, the more I think about that, the more I think it's very profound because that church had a sense of all the kids being their kids and uh, they were responsible for raising us in the right way. See, so your, your Sunday school teachers and youth directors, they, they were all sort of part of your family, basically. Absolutely, and it really felt that way. Yes, indeed. So, therefore, you and uh, and your fellow clergymen were were well trained. Now, Bennett Memorial's uh, youth was pretty highly numbered back then, wasn't it? They had a pretty uh, pretty solid youth family. We did indeed. We probably have thirty to forty youth on a Sunday night there, and with a lot of activities at other times too. It was it was uh, well led and well attended. 
Well, that's that's a secret to uh, a successful youth group, but one that's well-led and, and well-attended. Now, I know that uh, your uncle, Les Chapman, was also a longtime minister in the United Methodist Church. In fact, uh, he baptized me, so there's a, a special spot in my heart for him. But uh, anyhow, describe the, the ways in which he perhaps might have influenced your uh, interest in preaching and tell me about the the most valuable lessons that you learned from him well of course because he was an itinerating preacher too even though we saw him often enough and and got a chance to talk he was a very busy man in churches uh, when he didn't live in henderson so we weren't together a lot but i think the the mere fact that he was an ordained minister that he did what he did and I got to watch him and hear him do some of that, just planted in my mind and heart that that was a possibility for me. And of course, as I've, as I've said earlier, because he was just one of many who came out of that church and was ordained, it just uh, was a large presence in my life to know that uh, that was part of the, almost like a tradition at Bennett Memorial. Sure. And it put me in the mind of thinking about that as a possibility for me. Well, that was, uh, that, that paid off for sure. And I know he was here, your Uncle Les was at First United Methodist of Henderson back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And um, you were you were not in Henderson at the time. Where were you then? Do you remember? I'm trying to remember. You know, we move around a lot. I'm thinking I might have been in... Uh, you were in Kentucky. Somewhere. I can narrow it down that far. <laughs> Yeah, when you're when you're ordained in a conference, which is usually uh, a state or part of a state, you stay, you uh, itinerate in that conference. So I've always been in Kentucky. Sure. But uh, I, it's possible that I was in uh, Breckenridge County at that time at Hardinsburg. Hardinsburg. Um, during part of the time, at least he was here in Henderson. Gotcha. So, yeah, you were you were there when he was in Henderson and then when when you were growing up in Henderson he was uh, elsewhere a lot of times but at least you got to know him and hear him enough to to you know have that rapport and get that foundation now um Gary where did you continue your schooling I know you graduated from Henderson City High School back in the day where did you uh, further your education after that and uh what were the most essential skills and experiences you gain from your collegiate education? Well, I'll tell you what, for the first two years of college, uh, I stayed at home and went to good old Henderson Community College. Oh, the or the first... hill, as the locals like to call it. <laughs> yeah, we, we went, I went out on the hill. That is, that is absolutely right. And uh, one of the things that happened to me there, um, and a shout out to Community College, to, to the hill, because some very good professors out there guided us along the way and gave us uh, good content and a real care and in a way that was deeply influential on me. Right. And there was an English, there was an English teacher who encouraged me in my writing and uh, my, uh, my word smithery, if that's a word. And, <laughs> we'll uh, make it a word. <laughs> you know, it, it is now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he encouraged me and noted uh, some skills I had in writing and it encouraged me to pursue that. And because I had already declared that I was planning on going into ordained ministry back in high school, it helped me um, focus my efforts toward more of a kind of pointed preparation of sermons and careful choice of, of words and thoughts and organizing 
those words and thoughts that I think have served me well in the ministry, especially in the area of preaching. Just out of curiosity, was that was a teacher by the name of Buddy Overfield there when you went through? You know, I did have a class with uh, Dr. Overfield. It was a, of all things, it was a New Testament class. A New Testament. So I, I got to I got to enjoy that great personality of a guy. But Ken <laughs> Ken Gibson was the teacher that I had for most of my English classes, and uh, he was really uh, he really picked up on my skills and helped me out. But I tell you what, there's no one more entertaining than Buddy Overfield, that's for sure. Oh, I know. He was <laughs> he was one of my mom's favorites. So <laughs> I figured, you know, you were you weren't that far uh, in front of her. So I, I figured you probably had him too. So thanks to Buddy <laughs> and uh <laughs> and and Kenny, you had uh, such great experiences on the hill. And then uh, where did you uh where did you continue your college education after those first two years? Well, two years at Murray State, graduated uh, with an undergraduate degree in English oh, and, gotcha. uh, with, with a philosophy minor, and then uh, on from there to uh, Vanderbilt Divinity School and uh, three years of Divinity School. Uh, and all during that time I was in seminary, I was always also serving smaller churches in Kentucky. I was a circuit rider in every sense of the word. At first, I was going back and forth to... Uh, to seminary with a carload of other students from Kentucky, and also riding a circuit with uh, four churches over in uh, Barron County and the surrounding area. Oh uh, had sent me. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a didn't have a Bronco <laughs> or a Mustang, but uh, I did ride the circuit to four churches while I was a seminary student. So you you put a lot of miles on the wheels when you were in school down there in Nashville, didn't you? <laughs> I, I, did, I did indeed. Yes, indeed. Becky Curry, our first preacher feature, she's a, a graduate of Vanderbilt Divinity School as well. Becky, hey. uh, Becky greeted me at the front door. She had already been there a year when I went down there. Oh, okay. So y'all were there for uh, some of the same some of the same time, actually. Exactly. That's when we started to know each other. Well, that was awesome. So talk about a small world. You and Becky were in divinity school together. Now, um, your strong interest in uh, ministry undoubtedly made your studies a lot more manageable. But I know that uh, all degree programs present unique challenges that must be overcome in order to uh, complete any program worth, uh, worth completing, basically. So what were uh, your most notable hardships you encountered or obstacles you overcame along your quest to becoming a preacher? Well, I think one of the things is that um, when you're raised in a loving local church and you think about what the ministry is, you think about truly, genuinely nice things, caring for people and knowing where their hurts and needs are and attending to them. Sure. But I think when I went to Vanderbilt, I learned that uh, that theology is a very uh, rigorous discipline. There's a depth and a width to it, a seriousness that uh, I had not encountered yet. And it was quite a challenge to, uh, to rise up to understanding that there was a lot of expected of a seminary student and really going deep and wide into scripture and theology and learning more about what the challenge of ministry was all about. I mean, any, any advanced degree is a challenge. Well, sure. Uh, yeah, it's designed to stretch you. But also this, a, a high sense of being called 
by something, someone bigger than yourself, in this case being called by God, uh, something bigger than your own desires is a pretty great motivator that can keep you going even when times get tough. So I had a very high sense of being called by God to do this, even though it was more difficult than I imagined it was going to be. Yeah, you you really had to immerse yourself in, in the Bible, so to speak, didn't you? Exactly. Yes, indeed. And uh, I know that time management was undoubtedly, undoubtedly a, a challenge, too, with you uh, going back and forth between four different churches. But I guess you probably did the, most of your traveling on the weekends, didn't you? Well, I tell you what, for part of the time I lived down there, but part of the time uh, I did commute. But I was uh, close enough to the Tennessee line and shared the driving with a lot of other people that it was it was enjoyable fellowship time with the others and not that far a distance that had to be covered. Okay, well, that, that definitely helped helped your cause for sure. Now, I know one of your churches was um, in Barron County. Was that where you lived? Uh, we, my first appointment was a four-point circuit. And uh, two of the churches, two of the four churches were in Barron County, and the parsonage where we lived was in Barron County. Okay, so yeah, you were probably about uh, an hour 20, hour 30 minutes away from, from Nashville there. Which, uh... Something like that. And, um, and it was, uh, you know, I was, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun now, but I was young then and excited about the new career in preaching. And so uh, it was an enjoyable time, despite the fact it was, uh, it was it was pretty demanding in terms of time on the road. Yeah, but uh, you you had your eye on the prize, and like you said, you were you were excited about what you were doing. So that's that's exactly, that's exactly right. Sam. So that's that definitely made it a lot easier and uh, and more enjoyable. Now take us back, Reverend Chapman, to the very first time that you set foot behind the pulpit to deliver a message and uh, tell us what stands out most to you when you think back on your preaching debut many moons ago. Well, I tell you what, my pastor at Bennett Memorial at the time was uh, Reverend Dr. Charles Music. He oh. had discerned me. He had, did you know Dr. Music? I've heard that name. <laughs> I like his name, Dr. Music. He was a very he was a very special man to me because he was he was kind to me and all the other young people in the church. And he uh, he discerned in me gifts for ministry, or so he said. I wasn't as sure about that as he was. Right. But he designed he designed opportunities for me to do things that ministers might do, like you know, teaching in Sunday school and leading various parts of worship liturgy on occasions when I was still at home in high school. And then on one occasion, and a few times later, he asked me to preach. Now, they say that when my uncle Les Chapman preached his first time at Bennett Memorial, when he was a kid, he preached what he had prepared. Uh -huh. he, was shocked at how, how, he was shocked at how brief it proved to be. <laughs> and so he preached, it, he preached it a second time, was shocked again, and preached it a third time. I, on the other hand, got up to preach my first sermon, was equally stunned that it only lasted three or four minutes, but I just sat down and gave up and thought I didn't have anything else to give. <laughs> now, given, given the quality of the content of that sermon, I doubt if anyone was too disappointed, 
Oh, but, I'm sure it was probably better I, than you I, think it was. I, I know. No, I believe I'm believe I'm right on this. But you have to start somewhere. Sure. And uh, I believe in his case and mine, some may have uh, some may have doubted that we were we were really called to this life of ordained ministry. But that's what got us started: a sermon at Bennett Memorial Church. A, a sermon at Bennett Memorial. The doctor music asks you to preach, and uh, your first time to to preach. Uh, as a as a preacher by trade was um, when you were still in divinity school at Vanderbilt, correct? That is correct. I uh, I had had a year of divinity school under my belt. Uh, another former pastor of First United Methodist Church here in Henderson, Dr. Fred Fisterer, was my first district superintendent, oh. and he called me to see if I would uh, go on the circuit as a student pastor. And uh, when I was, as I was beginning my second year, getting ready to be in my second year in seminary, I also began my first year uh, preaching in a church. I see. So two, two new beginnings right there about the, about the same time. And uh, yeah, right. I'll tell you the rest of the rest, as they say, is, is history. Now, uh, no matter how hard they study, Gary, I'm certain that preachers often seek out advice and encouragement from their peers and colleagues, especially during their early years. So uh, tell us about the mentors in your surroundings who assisted you in learning the ropes and developing your craft as a young minister. Well, I tell you what, because of the nature of our polity and how ministers are moved and the sizes of churches young ministers are in, there are certain smaller churches that are accustomed to having students as pastors and God bless them. The people in those churches that have a constant incoming of students have to be very long suffering and patience with our inexperience. And so <laughs> kudos, blessings upon all those people who were so patient with me and others as we kind of learned the ropes and learned how to do what a pastor does. Those people are very, very important to me. Uh -huh. Some, some clergy's, some clergy become mentors to you too. And uh, I mentioned Dr. Fisterer. He was my, a district superintendent, by the way, is sort of like a minute middle management person in the United Methodist Church. They, they are an extension of the bishop's office to a smaller geographical area. Right. They have, super, they have supervisory responsibilities over that area. And he was my supervisor, that man. And uh, Dr. Fisterer always took great, great care of younger ministers to let them know that they had a friend who was walking alongside them, who also was patient with them and gave them good instruction. He took us seriously and in a very kind way. And he was, uh, he's one of the most formative people in my life because of that, that care. In fact, uh, not all that many years ago, just before I retired, uh, he was long retired living in Bowling Green where I was the superintendent. Uh, I got a chance to eulogize him at his funeral and uh, told, got to tell everyone how blessed I had been to have him as my first district superintendent and how honored I had been to, been his, to have been his last one because I was the superintendent in his district at that time. He's a very special man to me. Yes, indeed. A lot of, a lot of uh, people at Henderson's First Church remember him fondly no doubt a little before my time but i have heard that name and <clears throat> i know he was definitely something something special to that church family now uh, throughout your time uh, 
in ministry, Gary, you served at churches of uh, various shapes and sizes all across the Commonwealth. So uh, we're going to talk about your your biggest and your smallest here, and we're going to sort of compare and contrast them. Now, you, you mentioned the the small churches that uh, tend to you know they tend to be greeted with student pastors while they're while they're in college. Is that uh, is that sort of a, a typical trend everywhere? I think it normally would be because there are so many good people, faithful Christians in those churches. Uh, Christians, for whatever differences there are between them, are a lot alike, too. There are a lot of kind, caring people who, uh, who appreciate a pastor who will give them his care and love and time. And, and it's uh, just an opportunity for them to help younger ministers grow. They kind of feel it as, as their own calling, I think, in ministry to help those young ministers yeah. Well, when you talk about uh, when you talk about the differences in small and and larger churches, and now Sam, I'm assuming you mean differences other than whether or not they have indoor plumbing. Is that right? <laughs> so, so indoor the, plumbing is churches, that's yeah. something we take for granted, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Some of those first churches, I in fact, I think three of the first those first four churches on that circuit uh, did not have indoor plumbing, so that was a big thing to get used to. But mm. We won't dwell on that. I think that's probably wise. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, I, I think one of the things I would really want to say, though, that, that I've already sort of talked about a little, is that um, I think some people in large churches think that smaller churches um, are very different than they are, perhaps lesser than they are. Uh, smaller churches believe that large churches are too big and can't get things done because the crowd's so large, whatever the biases, prejudices may be. Right. But I, I find astoundingly kind and bright uh, people hungry for the gospel, uh, yearning for good pastors and good preachers, and uh, willing to be challenged. There are, uh, there are poets and prophets and theologians out there in those pews and churches of all sizes. And um, I, I think that what the churches have in common are probably the most astounding thing, far more, far more important than the differences. There are things related to, to the staff size, a group dynamic that happens in larger crowds when you have more in the congregation. There are staff sizes. Um, when I went from uh, a move from kind of a smaller church to a much larger church, I moved from uh, Hardensburg United Methodist Church in Breckenridge County. Mm -hmm. to St. To Matthew's United Methodist in Louisville. <laughs> Big job. <laughs> I went from having a, a part-time secretary and a part-time custodian to uh, 12 members on staff uh, with highly specialized ministries and other functions in the church. <laughs> Quite a 180 there. <laughs> more, more than the change that, that is produced by the size of the congregation, is how your life changes as a senior minister when you have responsibility for a staff. But I enjoyed small church work. There's some absolutely charming things about that. And there's some real satisfying, challenging kinds of opportunities when you're working creatively with a good staff too. So, uh, so I really have enjoyed the whole span of time in churches, small and large. Yes, indeed. And that first, uh, Let's see, that first church among those three or four um, on the circuit that you mentioned uh, was 
mm-hmm. was in Barron County. And how, about what was the congregation size there? Do you remember? Well, across that, I'm trying to think. Um, those four congregations ranged in size from probably about oh, 20 or 25 up to about 40 or 45. Okay, so anywhere from so, 25 to 45. And uh, now was um, was St. Matthew's United Methodist, was that the um, the biggest church that, uh, that you ever served during your time? No, uh, Elizabethtown Memorial was the largest church, but they weren't uh, they weren't radically different in size. St. Matthew's had a membership of about, um, I don't know, 12, 1400. Oh, gotcha. And, um, and E-Town wasn't a whole lot bigger than that. Maybe just a few hundred. Okay. So E-Town was right around maybe 2000 or so, which is uh... a little, <laughs> yeah, a little bit under that, but so they're, they're similar in size. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, like you said, with different uh, different size congregations and different size staffs, you know, that definitely <laughs> varies the, the experience. But anyway, we talked about mission trips off record here. And I know that you always were blessed with uh, great staff to uh, to handle those, coordinate the trips and handle the the uh, the efforts that your churches were coordinating with uh, with other churches but uh, I know you also got to do a, a great deal of of traveling as uh, a minister non-missionary work related with uh, you know retreats maybe for pastors and maybe just other getaways just to get closer to to the Lord shall we say so where were some of the where were some of the most uh, interesting and enjoyable places that uh, you were privileged to to go to and uh, kind of talk about some of the the highlights of those experiences. Well, I tell you, um, the United Methodist ministry has always been an an educated ministry by order of the man who started Methodism, uh, Father John Wesley. Right. Uh, Wesley, Wesley was very strict about educational requirements, and that has followed through to this day. Um, and so I've always made a lot of my traveling related to education. I've always, I've always been fond of studying and going deeper and wider into scriptural study and theology. So a lot of my travel has been related to opportunities like that. Um, I had some very special opportunities at our, we Methodists are, are very regimented and orderly in our structure. And we have we have local churches, districts, conferences, and then we have something called uh, a jurisdiction. And Lake Junaluska, North Carolina, is uh, a place where the southeastern jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church has a center for training and other activities. Oh, yeah, and I've I been there. Over... Oh, sure you have. As a youth, you've been on that trip, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, sure we, we made youth trips out there over the summer. <laughs> yeah, that was an annual event for us uh, here at Henderson. It's a marvelous place to go and have very well organized, uh, coordinated times for learning and for recreation and fellowship and worship. And I found that to be a place that's just rich with opportunities. I had uh, I went to St. Myron once for a week-long um, session on literary forms of the New Testament and just got some rich information out of that that fed my preaching and teaching. And then later in life, while we were in while we were in E-town, uh, I had the opportunity through the grace of a church member there to invite me to go with him to, to the Holy Land. I thought I'd never get to the Holy Land, uh-huh. and uh, we, we went there and stayed for about ten days. Um, 
the United States Southeast was snowed in and we got to stay in an extra day because of that. And uh, we just had a wonderful time while we were there and uh, learning opportunities and to walk in the very place that you're reading about in the Bible, the places that you read about in the Bible, that, that adds an extra layer of meaning to, uh, to what you read and what you study in church. Oh, yes. And I know uh, our pastor, Jim Walford, just got back from the Holy Land not too long ago. So I know he... Yeah, Jim is a, Jim is a world traveler and he's made quite a few trips. He can, uh, he can lead the group and tell you what's going on. I'm not that guy. I have to sit back and listen to people like him. <laughs> while they, teach, they teach me all the stuff they know. Oh, goodness. well, hey, we all we all learn and, and teach to an extent in life. But it was great that you right. nice that you were pretty well traveled during your time. And uh, we mentioned this briefly not long ago, but for a period in the early two thousands, you proudly held the title of senior minister at uh, Henderson's First United Methodist, my home church. I know that place well. You do, yep, don't you? <laughs> yep, your uh, your uncle Les was a preacher there as well several decades ago, like we said. But uh, what, in your opinion, uh, makes this church so unique and special? And what were uh, your most notable perks of uh, the time you served there? Well, first of all, they're special for uh, having had one Chapman there as the pastor already. I'm surprised they let another one in. <laughs> you were the second, yes. <laughs> they rolled out the red carpet and made me feel just as welcome as I could feel, and, and uh, I'm thankful for that. Um, when Bishop King moved me from uh, Louisville District Superintendent to uh, Henderson First, First United Methodist. He, he struggled with that a little bit, knowing that I was a Henderson-raised boy, but he decided to go on with that and thought it was the right thing to do, and I think it uh, proved to be too. Uh, I think it worked out very well. Of course, one of the major, you ask about the pluses of this church here. Right. One of the major pluses is that uh, this is a church with strong leaders who bring a wide variety of expertise not only to life, but to, to ministry in the church and outside the church, who are very, very willing to get in line to, to help the cause and the leadership of the pastor, and uh, very cooperative and very, very well equipped to give the pastor good support. Uh, pastors often look about only as good as the people behind them, and I'll tell you what, at Henderson <laughs> First, they're some of the greatest leaders I've ever had in any church anywhere. The fact that I already knew so many people proved to be uh, an advantage to me, of course. Oh, sure. Um, another, one, another one of my bishops said to me once, he said, when you, when you serve a church in your hometown, it's like skipping your first year where you're trying to remember everyone's name and learn all their connections with each other. Um, <laughs> I can see that. I, I remember standing in line my first Sunday here at Henderson First, and there was a, a line coming through greeting us. And I was calling a number of people by first names and giving hugs. And a, a woman who hadn't been in the church very long was puzzled by all that. She didn't know the connection. She said, do you already know everybody? <laughs> and I almost, I almost did. <laughs> right. So, uh, so it, that, that can be a disadvantage to be a hometown boy coming back. But because of the strength of this church and uh, the warm welcome we received, uh, it turned out to be a, a big plus, I think, for all involved. Maybe a prophet 
can have a little honor in his, in his own country after all, Sam. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And you served at uh, First Church for, um, what, about five years there? Uh, six years. Six years. Okay. I knew it was probably five or six. And um, plus you and the aforementioned Becky Curry were uh, together on staff for several of those years. We did. We got along famously well. We brought a lot of, we brought different gifts to the table and some shared gifts as well. And uh, that partnership, partnership went very, very well. But then uh, some bishop or another got meddlesome and decided he had another place he needed her to be. And <laughs> there she went out the door. But we had a good thing. Going. We had a good thing going for two or three years. And I was happy for that time together. You moved. Uh, from Henderson to Bowling Green, correct? Well, I went to Elizabethtown first, and then Bowling Green uh, was my last appointment as the district superintendent in the Bowling Green district. Okay, so E-Town and Bowling Green. You, uh, you never served in, uh, in Lexington or Eastern Kentucky, did you? No, I didn't. For the longest time, for most of my career, Kentucky was divided into two conferences. It had the same bishop but like it was a bishop who himself was a circuit rider between two conferences. And uh, one was the, uh, was the conference to the east of Louisville. And the other was called the, that was the Kentucky conference. And then to the west, uh, with the exception of the purchase area was the Louisville conference. So I was a member of the Louisville conference and moved within the confines of that conference. Only later on in my career did the two of those unite as one larger Kentucky conference. Oh, gotcha. So well, the, the answer is no. Uh, Lexington was not available to me for most of my ministry because I was not in that conference. Yeah, you were in the, you were in the Louisville Westward Conference. <laughs> and so that's exactly right. So that's, uh, that's where you stayed. Now, uh, when exactly was it that you retired from the United Methodist Church, Gary? And what, uh, what made it seem like an ideal time in your mind to call it a career at that point? Well, I tell you, it, um, when I was 61 years old, I had one of those heart attacks that fortunately warn you instead of kill you and decided- <laughs> That's a good uh, way to look at it. Maybe, that's, that's right. I, was, uh, I decided it was time for me to retire. I was the superintendent of the Bowling Green District uh, transitions were happening in a big picture that just made me feel like it wouldn't be fair for me to stay on because uh, I truly physically just wasn't up to the task. So I applied for retirement just before my 62nd birthday and almost 38 years or 39, whatever it was as a clergyman. After treatments for my heart problems, however, I felt better. I thought I still had something to offer and wanted to close my career back in a pulpit rather than in, in an administrative office. Uh -huh. And so for, for two years, I served as the pastor of a small church in Auburn, Kentucky. Um, oh, Logan now, County. Exactly. <laughs> um, and not to prolong this story much longer, but... Oh, you're fine. A year, a year or two later, after that stint and four stents, did you hear what I did there? Stint Sam? and stance, yeah. <laughs> nice tie-in there. <laughs> Thank you so much. You always laughed at my jokes and I love you for it. <laughs> Easy to do. The bishop called me because I was feeling better after retiring and having the cardiologist fix me up. Right. And he asked me if I would consider filling in for an interim period of 10 months 
at uh, Hopkinsville First United Methodist Church. And I'm happy I did. I felt like I had something else I needed to do to really feel finished. It's a great church. I made new friends, more chances to engage in my very favorite part of a pastor's job, and that is preaching. Sure. And, um, and so I really enjoyed the time I had down there. And to add sort of a PS, uh, the word's out on this now, so I guess I can talk about it. I mean, I've been preaching around different churches, you know, random Sundays here and there since I've been back in Henderson. Filling in, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been filling in because retired ministers are still valuable for at least that. Oh, sure. And uh, recently I had a call from a church you may have heard of called Community Baptist Church. Oh, sure. And, uh, and that uh, that rascal Hobbs up there retired after 17. I think, when was he there? Tim was there 17 and a half years, I think. Oh, goodness. And did, did a great job. Um, and he's retired after that length of time. And they need a little someone to fill in for a few Sundays until they uh, accomplish some other searching and hiring and things like that. So I'll be going up to Community Baptist here pretty soon, sometime in June, to begin a, uh, a period of about, I don't know, six or eight weeks preaching for them until they get through some of their administrative duties. Oh, gotcha. So you'll be you'll be an interim at, at Community Baptist coming up. And I guess um, you probably still do some uh, occasional weddings and funerals perhaps too, don't you? I do indeed. Since we've been back to Henderson, I've had a um, couple of weddings, I think it is, and have either led or participated in about five or six funerals as well. See, so you stayed pretty busy in your retirement years, but uh, I guess you, uh, let's see, you completed your 10-month your uh, span there in Hopkinsville back in, the, in 2010, right? Uh, no, that would have been a little bit later than that. I'm looking at a picture on my wall right now that they gave me as I left a picture of the church with a plaque down at the bottom of it. And it was presented to me on June 21st, 2020. So it hasn't been that long ago and only moved shortly later uh, after I finished that job. I see. So, so after you finished the Hopkinsville job, then, uh, then you moved back to Henderson. So you've, uh, you've been in Henderson, um, uh, for, I guess, about, what, a year and a half now since you've been by? Yeah, we're, we're coming up on two years. Coming up on two years. It's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's flying by, I know. Well, uh, anyway, when, um, when reflecting back on um, all of these churches uh, with, with which you've served and all the preaching that you've done, your accomplishments over the years, talk about the, the ones that have given you the, the greatest sense of pride and gratification, Gary? Well, I've always uh, considered myself, uh, no matter whatever people think about this, um, primarily uh, a proclaimer of the word of God, a preacher. Right. And have put a lot of, put a lot of prayer and study and effort and, and heart and love into that. Sunday morning is, after all, the time when uh, hopefully you uh, have a, a, as many people as you possibly can out there in front of you listening to you. I always like to make sure that, uh, that I have something to say that is worth saying, not because it comes from me, but a source bigger than myself. Uh, and so I work at that very prayerfully and uh, maybe I'm overly meticulous about words, but I think words are very important and they, they breathe life into people and they can change the world. The right well, you're, from, <laughs> you're a wordsmither for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, I, I, 
I love that part of the ministry along with other parts, but that's, um, that's the part I love the most. And um, um, the, the combination of preaching on Sunday morning and being with people in their homes, their workplaces, their places of leisure, the, that being ubiquitous and where people are and with people conversing and listening, uh, that's one of the most satisfying combinations in life for a preacher, I would think. And that's what has been uh, my life's blood professionally for uh, now getting up close to 50 years. Yeah. So, you know, delivering messages worth hearing and just uh, being around and, uh, and serving people. You, you got to be a people person if you're, if you're a preacher, don't you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how you could do it any other way. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, uh, you know, a big, a big part of the, the success that one hopes to have in the, uh, in the realm of preaching. But uh, anyhow, Gary, you've, uh, you've been great. I know that uh, we've all learned a lot, but uh, before we, let you go here. Why don't you pass along some some friendly words to the wise for those in our audience who believe that ministry may likely be their calling? Well, let me tell you what, this is not going to be the longest answer of the day, but it, I just warn you, it could be. You really opened the can of worms. When you hey, no rush. <laughs> no rush at all. Uh, no, I, I'm not going to take long because it's more of a, it would be more of a lecture or a sermon itself. <laughs> but I, I think just to kind of give the flavor of something, a direction, and maybe a spin that I would like to, uh, like us to close on, uh, I, th I think people get... Um, so hung up on their own giftedness and uh, qualifications. And um, sometimes God gets somehow oddly and unexpectedly choked out of, the, out, of, out of the whole equation. I guess what I'm trying to say is we don't get too hung up on things like career assessment tools and gifts, surveys, measuring whether or not you should be a minister. Right. Uh, the, the God that I meet in scripture and in life casts against type very often. Uh, I was a shy little boy who lived out in, uh, in Audubon when I grew up and uh, would do anything in the world to keep anyone from looking at me, talking to me, and certainly putting the spotlight on me. Um, but God calls us to do things that sometimes we don't expect or don't want to do. Uh, right. Sometimes God uses the gifts we truly have, but sometimes God casts against type. Um, it's not necessarily God talking because some survey told you this or a person told you that. That may be you pretending to be God and meet God on your own terms. Uh -huh. um, get ready, I guess with God, get ready for the surprises. Uh, God may not make your life easier, but he sure will make it more fulfilling and challenging whether you necessarily want it or not. There you go. So be open to new ideas, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, uh, and listen to, to God and listen to your heart. There, there is a God who speaks sometimes against your expectations and even against your will and always be listening for that voice. Absolutely. Never... 
<laughs> Never shut him out of there. Well said. Well, uh, thank you so much. I tell you for, for coming on with me today and, and doing such a great job. You've got my permission to take a nap. <laughs> thank you so much. I don't, I don't even have to apologize for it anymore. I like one of those occasionally myself. So uh, you, uh, you know, enjoy your last, uh, your last few weeks here before you start your, your interim at uh, Community Baptist. And I know they'll, uh, they'll really enjoy you out there. And if you're not opposed, we'll do this again sometime, sir. That would be great, Sam. You do a great job and uh, you're a good old time friend of mine. I really appreciate uh, you joining me and letting me join you today. Well, the pleasure is certainly mine, Gary Chapman. And I tell you, there's things that anybody could learn from our conversation. There's a lot of good life's lessons in there, even for those of us who aren't thinking of going into ministry in our future careers. Gary Chapman is a wise man and I sure appreciate him imparting just a fraction of his wisdom on us today. It was uh, certainly fun to catch up with him again. Like I said, we've known each other for a while, but went our separate ways when he moved and uh, I went off to college, but it was great talking to him, and I know we'll be talking again sometime soon. But at any rate, there are plenty of other preachers that are worthy of our time and recognition. So if you'd like to nominate those, and I hope you do, regardless of the church, I want to hear about them. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com is my email address. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. Let me know about that preacher or those preachers who have uh, meant so much to you. And let me know what makes them so unique and so special. And I will do what I can to salute them and bring them on the show, okay? Same goes for teachers, restaurant owners, park managers, anybody else you'd like to nominate for a future show content. I'm all ears. I want to hear about them. Anything and everything with connections to Kentucky, I will definitely consider for uh, future content here on the program. So... With that, we will come your way again on May 18th. That is the day before my birthday, in case any of you are not shopping yet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, don't expect, I don't expect presents. Your presence is my present. Okay, so that's all I care about for my birthday, is you being here the day before on May the 18th for our next show. I don't want you to miss a nanosecond of it. It's going to be a blast. But before we bring this show to a conclusion, let's give you the answer to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster that we brought to you at the beginning of the show. A little surprising answer, at least to me. And, uh, you know, we've all heard about the state tree, the state flower, the state bird, the state song, all that fun stuff. But if you're like me, chances are you did not know about the Kentucky State Wild Animal. But your question was, what is Kentucky's state wild animal? And your answer, it's the gray squirrel. Yes, indeed, the gray squirrel is Kentucky's state wild animal. And uh, gray squirrels breed twice a year, which almost always causes fights and chasing and all sorts of other chaos. And uh, squirrel litters are born in tree hollows as well as leafy nests on the branches of trees. So 
Yes, indeed. The gray squirrel is Kentucky's official state wild animal. So <laughs> you learn something new every day, don't you? Come on back next week. We will try to have another bluegrass brain buster for you. And in the meantime, you know how to find me and where to find me. In addition to the email, I'm also readily available on the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. If you're not already liking and following the page, do me a favor and do yourself a favor and do so because all of my previous episodes are there for those that you might have missed or just want to hear again for the guests that were featured. They are all right there waiting for you. You can also see teasers on future programs that are presented typically once a week. Make comments, leave messages. I love hearing from you via that platform. And don't forget, you can listen and subscribe to Blabbing in the Bluegrass absolutely free of charge using Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal. Those podcast directories are very easy, very affordable. Well, they couldn't be any more affordable. They're free. So no excuse for you not to keep me company each and every time I show up for another riveting round of Blabbing in the Bluegrass. So you keep a happy thought, and until we meet again, keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.